You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Riverview Conversations podcast. It's good to have you with Hello. us. Hello. My name is Reese. And sitting Excuse, across sorry. from me, making <laughs> making hilarious noises, is brother Ryan Gagler. Good to be back together, isn't it? How are you, man? I'm I'm doing good. I've, today's one of the, uh, today's a bit of a day, isn't it? It's a bit busy today, a bit hackers around the place, but both, we're we're happy to be here. We're both a bit bleary eyed. <laughs> we are, but you know what? Coffee and Jesus seem to do the job. Mm, I'm I'm resisting the urge to go and raid the. Uh, pastoral chocolates from the little our, our resident council. Reese, this is rooms. a confession moment. How often do you raid the chocolates in Mama Liz's office? Oh, uh, Mama Liz, probably once a week, but Amanda next to me, daily. Oh, wow. It's a daily, uh, it's about it's about two, three o'clock. Thank you, son, for your confession. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's what. Well, they're there, <laughs> you know. Reese, so. They're there. That's true. That's true. They're available. All right. Let's start off with a um, bit of a fun question just to get to know you oh, a little bit Oh, that's not the more. question? That's not the no, fun no, question? No. That was just an extra <laughs> confession session. <Yeah. laughs> um, no, Reese. I was thinking, I mean, we've heard a little bit about your interactions with Auntie Joyce Meyer, among oh. others. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Oh, wow. Like met as in not seen? Just like met? Someone um, I've met. <laughs> What do we define? Because I've seen met? plenty of famous people, but I probably no, no, haven't no. Yeah, met them. You've, you've said hi, shook their hand, headbutted oh, the wow, queen kind of vibe. Wow. Uh, well, maybe not the most fa- famous person in, in the context of the world, but certainly most famous as I was growing up. Mm. Jonah Lomu. Do you remember Jonah Lomu? He uh, was, the name is so he, familiar. He was this man mountain of a rugby player in the 90s oh. who... He he came, he saw, and he conquered the world. <laughs> and he, yeah, my fa- my memories of the 1995 Rugby World Cup as a little 11-year-old. Did watching you, him stomp, over, stomp all over the English. And he had a PS1 game, a very playable PS1 game called Jonah Lomu Rugby, which was... I didn't man, know they made PlayStation games out of New Zealand. Many hours played, yeah. So so he was, I met him at kind of like one of those things where you go meet the meet the stars of your favorite sport. Oh. I sat there and I got a little photo and he signed my thing and yeah. At the time, the photo, I was not wearing any all black shirt. I was wearing a Phoenix Suns shirt. So there you go. Go figure, mixing the sports. Who knows? What about you? Uh, I Honestly, I was thinking about it. I don't feel like I've met You haven't met anyone? Any, well... I've met Reese from the Riverview Church Conversations podcast. Wow. That's, no, I uh, I don't feel like I've met any top tier famous people. No movie stars. Nah, nah. I, I I've got like random ones of people that I look up to. Mm-hmm. Like when I was at Regent, I met some like uh, the theology. Of the faith. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> fan fan girl kind of mm. level stuff. But yeah, wow. but otherwise, like I don't think. I drove around Evermore. You would oh, yeah, be aware yeah. of that. I love for a that while. band. Yeah, They're but a good band. but even them, great, great guys. Probably not quite top tier. You know, haven't oh, met any. any you yeah, know who I on. have met. Go on. You know, and this is topical. Yeah, I have met another celebrity pastor whose name is very, very. Um, very present in the news these days. Oh, okay. uh, one Carl Lentz. I had a number oh. of meals. Uh, in his uh, in his former former role as a youth pastor in Virginia Beach, and that was a good time. Yeah. There you go. Love, lovely meal, lovely chats. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll still I'll keep an eye out for meeting some famous people, and I'll keep you updated. I'll start um, searching the streets of Perth. Although nowadays, because of COVID, 
it's probably unlikely that we'll have too many. You might meet Zach Efron. He's moved to Australia, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah, I believe so. Where's he live? You got his address? He might be around. Yeah, I'm sure he'd look <laughs> like Anyway, we we're uh, we're not here to talk about celebrities. Celebrities, although we might chat about them a little bit today. We we thought we'd have a bit of a conversation, and this is um. This is going to be a bit of a varied conversation mm. because it's something that's come up again and again and as we've been, you know, going, embarking on our journey of conversations is is the notion of like advertising and marketing and ethics, um, particularly in our relation to the Christian faith. And obviously we're all familiar with the, the world of advertising and it's um, often quite biased and it's often quite in your face through all sorts of different um, channels and, and mediums. But we were kind of sitting here having conversations about how does that work when it comes to Christian faith? Like how do we talk about and proclaim Jesus but in a way that is true to the brand that he came to establish, so to speak? Um, you know, Jesus seemed to walk around on earth and have a particular way of establishing and extending his kingdom. And I don't think it always looked like the way that we would then go and try and extend that. Brand Jesus. Brand Jesus. What a brand. And and particularly, and as we have our conversation, particularly we live in a post-Christian world where a lot of people are familiar with the brand. Um, however, maybe they don't have a true idea of, you know, what Jesus is actually all about. So, so how does that work? How mm. do we interact with that? I mean, you think about companies like, um, let's say, Apple and the employees that they have, it can be a little bit easier when you're dealing with a smaller number of employees to have a certain culture. But if you think about Christianity, everyone who confesses their faith in mm. the Lord Jesus is a brand ambassador and um, you know, 2 billion people across the world might do that and that can be quite diluted in terms of the representation on Jesus and yeah, I mean, we're, like, there's so much chat around this. Any thoughts, Reese? Oh, I we just think uh, we were talking before about, you know, it would be very helpful if we had a brand handbook, but I guess we do. But it's voluminous. Mm. It's very large and it's mm. in multiple languages and it's ancient. So And open to kind of interpretation, yeah. so to speak. So, so. so it would be easy for a, for a brand in this day and age to like pass out like, these are the fonts we use and this is the way we talk about the company and mm. this is the way that we, these are the values that we want to, we want to be positive and we want to be this, that and the other thing. Whereas Christianity is, uh, yeah. it, it, man, there are, there's so much to it. So how do you represent uh, Jesus well as every single Christian being a brand ambassador? Mm. Especially because I think, um, Say, for example, celebrity pastors, people are potentially, they're familiar with maybe some of the aspects of brand Jesus, be like symbols or holidays. Um, but by and large, people are probably have more awareness of what the brand ambassadors are like. Mm. So therefore, what do we do as brand ambassadors? You know, that's, that, mm. that whole side of things is, is, is pretty interesting to me. And I think as we've talked about, this is obviously an ethical kind of conundrum that comes along with this, right? Because you genuinely want people to encounter the living Jesus, the risen Savior. Like that's that's definitely there. But then what do we how do we choose to go about that? And where does the ethical line lie? It's a little bit like advertising, right? Like you you want to promote something and you actually believe in a product, but at, how far do you go? To, to sell that, to get that across um, because we don't want to be misleading consumers or, or promoting stuff that's actually not true and is completely inaccurate. 
Um, and so we thought we would just dive in and have a bit of a conversation about that. And, and joining us today for the podcast is actually a really good friend of mine. His name is John Briers. And I've known John for about probably four or five years now. We got the privilege of studying together in Vancouver, Canada. But John for many years worked in London uh, in advertising, working on some fairly high profile accounts. And when we were talking about some of this, I was thinking, man, he would just be a, an amazing person to talk to because he's he's now working as a pastor. And so he's had his foot in both worlds and um, I think has a really helpful and healthy perspective of what it looks like to kind of communicate Jesus in an effective way with hope still, but not necessarily, um, you know, trying to oversell and overpromise things that actually aren't true. And so hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, and uh, we'll see you on the other side of the chat. Enjoy. Well, John Briers, thank you so much for joining us here on the Riverview Church Conversations podcast. So good to have you joining with us all the way from Canada. How are you? Good to be here. Yep, it's early. It, it is early for you. It's late for us. We're both drinking coffee, I believe, but different times of the day. Now, John, I every time I gather with Reese for a podcast, we ask a bit of a curly question. Yes, already checked in much with to him. my chagrin. Yes, but I, I wanted to check in with you. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? Wow, what a question. Um, that's a good question. Probably Usain Bolt. Tell me, oh, wow. tell me. It was, it was in the advertising days, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, um, I was on a, it was a photo shoot that I had to attend last minute in Munich in, the, in a hotel right near the airport. Sounds really glamorous, but I got up early, flew over to Munich, did the photo shoot, saw Usain Bolt for about three seconds, asked him about his uh, love of Manchester United, and then flew back. And then I've got a great story to tell for years to come. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Wow, that could have challenged into a sprint at least three seconds. Pretty famous dude. That is very famous. Now, John, we've um. Got you on the podcast today to have a bit of a conversation um, around advertising, ethics, brand Jesus, all the things above. Do you, can you kind of, before we even begin the conversation, just give us a bit of a backstory. You obviously uh, for a number of years were working in advertising in London. You found yourself now as a, a pastor in Canada. Can you just tell us a little bit about your story? How'd you end up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Thought the church needed some branding help. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I was going to go into seminary actually when I just before university, um, thinking about seminary, but ended up doing a business degree, and then enjoyed the marketing side of it and the sort of seminary side of it. Started to, I, I just started to forget really that that's what I wanted to do as a young man recently became a Christian. So I had a lot of zeal, but not a lot of direction and, and advertising was interesting. And so after university got into digital advertising, which at the time, which sounds, makes me sound old, but at the time was kind of fledgling industry. Um, the, the internet was, uh, obviously a big deal then, uh, as it is now. And, um, and advertising on the internet, was was 
yeah, fa- fairly new. So I worked for a, a, a digital advertising agency for a number of years and then um, transitioned to working for what you would call like a, a kind of a full service agency. So working in TV advertising. And so worked there for a number of years and, and just kind of worked through the ranks as it were. It ended up uh, working for an agency called Saatchi & Saatchi in London which is uh, fairly well-known, was more well-known probably back in the 80s and 90s, but fairly well-known still. And I worked as a business director there for a couple of years. And then when I turned about 30, uh, as, as you do when you're 30, you, you start to have kind of an existential crisis. That <laughs> um, <start laughs> question what you're doing with your life. And, um, and actually, it just worked out for myself and my wife that, that we wanted to, to look at alternative um career paths so my wife works as an accountant for deloitte and kind of gave us a bit of flexibility to look abroad as well so we looked abroad we came to vancouver where we currently live and uh while we were here i met with all of the local advertising agencies and found out that it really wasn't the hub of um uh, you know kind of creativity in canada that's more east coast but the, the real hub in the west coast of Canada is, is the, the seminary there, so Regent College. And so I went there and it kind of sparked, it, it ignited something within me that I think I had when I first became a Christian, which was a love of theology and, and wanting to kind of explore that in a deeper way. And decided to, to leave advertising and, and, and become a student again. And so I've been doing that for the last three and a half years. And um, fairly recently picked up a position as, as an executive pastor for a church called Christ City in Vancouver. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my journey so far. Mm. So this might sound like a strange question, but you, you worked for a number of years in advertising. Now you're a pastor. Uh, are, like, are you doing some of the same work? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, if, if we're talking about... And part of the conversation we wanted to have today was around probably the way that we communicate Jesus to people and maybe the way the church have, has done it um, throughout the last, you know, maybe 100 or so years. You know, what's the same for you now as a pastor? What's different as, as when you were doing advertising? Oh, let, let me start with what's different because I, I think there's probably more different than there is the same. And I, I was talking to my wife about this last night and I was saying that, I think maybe there's an, uh, an idea that if you work in advertising, then you're constantly cognizant of the big mechanisms at play when you're advertising. So, you, you know, thinking of all the worst kind of nefarious things. But actually, when you work in advertising, you're doing a lot of, a lot of work that, that translates across any other job. Um, a lot of administration, a lot of client relationship management, um, um, but you are doing the other side of thing where you're where you're kind of selling and you're, you're marketing. Um, so so there is there is a lot of similarities I think in terms of the general work that I do. But I would like to kind of separate the the big broad premises of advertising and shall we say like evangelism or or, or sharing the gospel because I think there's some big fundamental differences between the two. Um, I'm, I'm sure we can get into what those what those big differences are, but but there is overlap for sure. But there's but there's uh, I would I'd start with they're very very different. 
That's an interesting assumption that I, what you addressed there is actually what I was kind of thinking coming into this chat. I was like, wow, as Christian, in maybe in the ad world, you potentially have this ethical line that you're constantly up against kind of going, well, how do I feel about working on this account? And how do I feel about working for this company? And how do I feel about selling that? Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's the wrong assumption. Maybe uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's right. Um, but I think that the more senior you get, the more the less of a cog in the machine you are. So you just kind of do the tasks and don't think about the big sort of meta narrative of advertising. The more senior you get, you get more you get a few controls. And so as you the, the higher you get, the more you think to yourself oh, there's an ethical dilemma here. I have a decision to make. And so I had a couple, a couple of those. Oh, I had, I'm sure I had way more than I was even aware of. But I had a, a few of those that, that, that come to mind. So I had the opportunity to work on a what we call in the UK a payday loan company, um, which fundamentally I, I, I disagree with um, in, in how they operate in the UK with very high interest rates, they tend to kind of capture people in in um, in vulnerable states and 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 use use that to their advantage. And so I had the opportunity to lead an account that that had that as one of our one of our clients, and and decided that I didn't want to do that. And that's a tough decision to say where it's an opportunity in your career to to advance it to take control of a, an account, which is a big deal. To say actually, I don't want to do that. Um, and, and there's lots, you know, lots of other decisions that you make along the way when you say, actually, uh, is what we're doing here counter to the ultimate lordship that I have in my life? Um, and that, and I, I would like to say, I probably didn't make that decision, uh, make, make good decisions every time with that, because it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, you know, road to walk, hard to know when those traps are there. But I think that the more senior you get, the more you have, you know, levers and pulleys, the way you can determine whether to make a righteous decision or whether to make not a good decision. I suppose it's really no different from maybe some of the things that we would face in, uh, I suppose, the church world in terms of how we decide what we do, what we don't do, the things that we spruik in Christian tradition, whether or not we're selling some form of prosperity gospel or we uh, labor the point on another aspect of the Christian tradition. We're, we're making those same choices in the same way that you might in any other kind of industry. I and I, I think that's true of, of every job. I think sometimes advertising sounds because people have watched Mad Men or people feel like people feel like it's kind of fraught with danger. And it is, like most jobs. Um, but I don't know if it's any more fraught than any other job. I think, you know, sin is sin is around the corner everywhere. Um, but I think the 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 thing that people and even my own reflection since leaving advertising, the thing that's difficult to reconcile with advertising is that it see it feels as if it's intrinsically um, dubious. It feels you know, working as a plumber, you have lots of moral conundrums. Uh, working as a you know whatever, um, you have lots of moral conundrums. But in advertising, it feels like oh, am I working for a system here that is intrinsically flawed and um, bent towards um, something quite quite dark but um, you don't think that when you're in it for sure you think 
you know, am I making good decisions today? That almost sounds, again, like questions many people would ask of the system of Christianity. Am I part of a system that is kind of driving in a certain direction versus what the real essence of Christianity, the real essence of Jesus is? You know, it's, I suppose the, the parallels are, like you say, anywhere in any industry, but it does. we, we as Christians are not immune to those the, the, the sort of systems or the, sort, the, the pitfalls that are just out there in everyday life, you know. We're not cloistered away in some uh, magical safe zone, you know. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, when we look at the, the church, and I know that, again, very broad term, speaking of the church and painting one giant brushstroke, but um, obviously, you know, so much of what we do is communicate and point towards the person of Jesus, and obviously one of the, the big, you know, ethical conundrums that no doubt um, you'd face in advertising is, is actually just misleading information or, you know, um, inaccurate data, so to speak. Um, and, and I wonder, you know, when we look at the church and the way that we, excuse the, the crassness of the phrase, but sell the kind of the product of Jesus, the, when we communicate the gospel of Jesus, have we... Have we, you know, got a branding problem? Have we got uh, an issue with the way that we've chosen to go about, um, you know, communicating the, the gospel of Jesus? What are, your, what are your thoughts and reflections now working as a pastor, John? Oh, well, it's funny saying it as have we got a branding problem is, is an interesting way of saying it because so, so quite famously in, in advertising, there's a guy called Sir John Hegarty who started a, a company called BBH, which is, if you work in advertising, you, you know who BBH are. They're, they're fairly well-known, successful organization. And he was asked, I think he was on a panel somewhere, and he was asked the question, um, what's the best brand? And I think there was other people on the piano, uh, on, on, on the um, panel, and, and, and they said, um, you know, Coca-Cola and Nike and all, all, the, all the kind of regular ones. And he responded, the Catholic Church. And so obviously, you know, the room is aghast and everyone's sort of upset with him. And he said, look, think about it. You know, everyone knows their logo. Um, they've got the best storefronts in, in every town, um, you know, the central, central building. And they've been going for 2,000 years. Name me another company that's been going for 2,000 years that is, um, that's still successful. And you've got over 2 billion adherents to it in the present. Um, and so obviously he was being a little bit facetious, I think, and he was, you know, make, making a bit of a joke of it, but it is it the, the, the brand of the church is very strong in terms of recognition, in terms of understanding. Um, the, the problem I think that we have is that because it's been going for so long and because it's got such high recognition, um, and because we live in, you know, what's often described as a post-Christian culture, people believe that they are defectors of the brand. So they believe that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is bad. And, um, and as such, they, they kind of think of it as something that, that they've already experienced. But, but they, mo a lot of people now haven't. And so they've got this secondhand knowledge of it. So what's interesting about um, you know, evangelism, for example, what's interesting about sharing 
um, quote unquote, and this, this sounds awful, but brand Jesus, is that people believe that they know him, but they don't. Mm. Um, and that's, that's the challenge, I think, for the church. Um, I think it will become less so the challenge for the church as the culture becomes more post-Christian and people will be stumbling upon Jesus for the first time. But a lot of people have, have a kind of a sour taste in their mouth from institutional Christianity um, for whatever reason. And it's perpetuated in the present by, you know, what we might call gr- grotesque forms of, 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 the, of the church. But um, that, that, I think, seems to me the kind of the way, I mean, you know, sort of, you know we're, we're running an alpha at the moment. And what's interesting is every guest on there is coming with some story of um, frustration with the church. Some story of, you know, my, my parents are Christians and, and now I've rejected it for whatever reason, but I'm still here on Alpha. And so, you know, there is a general perception that we've tried the product or, or the world has tried the product and it, and it hasn't, hasn't quite worked. Um, and that, that for me is, is a kind of interesting so I don't know if it's got a branding problem in the terms, in the sense of brand awareness, um, yeah. but it's probably got a, a branding problem in terms of um, is what is being represented aligned with the original vision of 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 what this is about. Yeah, we were talking before about um, Christianity tends to sell. You put it grotesque forms of Christianity in terms of like prosperity and health and wealth and happiness and a certain amount of answers to life's problems and this, that, and the other thing, whereas like what is it that Jesus is actually selling and the things that he promises us are hardship and uh, persecution and, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a disparity between those two things, I think. Um, well, what, the, the, a good question to ask is what has made Christianity so successful for 2,000 years? You know, in, in Sir John Hegarty's words, the best brands that's ever existed. Um, and... Uh, you know, my, my son at the moment, he, anytime he sees a cross anywhere, he says church, church. Cause you know, he knows that as he knows that as church. Um, and so he'll see a cross in the, you know, in the carpet somewhere and he'll say church, church. Um, what's interesting about the, you know, the, the, the logo that Hegarty is talking about that survived and everyone knows is this symbol of a cross and, and what's made it successful for 2000 years is this notion of the cross that, that has been changed and diluted and, and distorted in many ways. But, but it seems to me that when we go back to the original kind of understanding of the cross and, and what that, what that, what that means for us and what that implies for how we live, that, that, that it seems that that is, that is delivered the success of the church for 2000 years and will continue beyond us and the question is are we as faithful christians truly living into this this brand of the cross Mm. i um we were kind of just reflecting a little earlier on um you know when you kind of read through john's gospel in particular chapters six through chapters nine jesus is kind of on the move and he is beginning to uh, kind of display and embody some of what his kingdom looks like. And, it, and on multiple occasions, his disciples or those who are his followers um, almost wanted to help him establish his kingdom. But Jesus was, 
intending to do it a certain way. And so, you know, there's one occasion where it says that they wanted to make him king by force. There's another occasion in in John 7 where it seems like they're trying to make him a king through fame. And Jesus kind of just seems to have none of it. Like he he kind of seems to imply again and again that that's not the way that my kingdom is going to look. And it does really have me challenged thinking about that, you know, like how are we sometimes not aligned with Jesus? So we kind of take his words and try and do something with them, um, even though he himself, when he was establishing his kingdom, sometimes says, no, this isn't the way, you know, you know, I want us to communicate. I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Like how do we now as followers not try and do the very thing that he's kind of, you know, pulled us back from doing? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is not a rule, but I mean, we're going, as a church, we're going through the book of 1 John um, and, and the, the, the John is, is, is talking about the difference between the world and, and you know, and, and Jesus essentially. And, and it's, not, it's not a rule, but if you look, if everything the world is doing, you're doing, then you should probably question it. <laughs> um, you know, you should probably go. Is this and, and the, uh, you know, fund, fundamentally, it's are we reading the Bible? Are we going back to the revelation that we have of who Jesus is and um, reflecting on that honestly? Because I think I, you know, there's a lot of um, lip service paid to the Bible, and and as we know, a lot of a lot of times it's very, tempt, you know, even tempting for ourselves to take the verses that seem to sort of coalesce with the way that we want to live our lives. Um, but if we, if, we, if we take the Bible seriously, read it humbly and honestly, then, then as you say, Ryan, there's, there's lots of times at which it seems as if the right thing, the right thing to do, the, the worldly way to do it is, is one way. And Jesus says, actually, no, there's another way. Um, and the question, the question of but Jesus' followers is really, are we going to follow him? Um, really, are we going to do what he says that we should do? And, and that's, that's, you know, it's, it's when Jesus says, count the cost. This is, this is the cost of discipleship. This is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to actually follow Jesus, to actually put ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. And, and I think that's just harder in practice than it sounds. Um, particularly when you've got a nice culture or even a curated culture within church that it, that doesn't, uh, that, that feels like it aligns very much with the worldly culture. Like you don't want to be necessarily the guy in your church that says, Hey guys, I think this is, this feels a little bit worldly. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's a, it, it, it means that you, you put yourself at personal risk socially and, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to us when we read Scripture to actually take it seriously, I think. And it, in this day and age that we live in, and particularly in this kind of post-COVID situation that we find ourselves in, it's almost like the pitfalls of consumer Christianity, which is a term that's been thrown around for many decades. It, the, the pitfalls are at our doorstep almost closer than ever before. And I wonder if... Um, you, you said before, uh, if we're just doing what the world is doing and that the, those words stuck out to me and I immediately think of things like social media and uh, 
streaming services online and doing big events and running courses and all that type of stuff, you know, at, at what point do we, you know, is, is there, a, is there a, a safe place to adapt or to adopt some of that stuff or, you know, where's the middle ground? Is there a middle ground or do we just have to figure it out for our own communities, for our own, the, the people that we're actually living and kind of d- doing life with? Is, is, is it just something we have to reckon with or is, do you think that there's kind of a, an appropriate level of this, this much world is okay and this much Jesus is okay? Well, John, John would say no. Um, and I think, you, you know, you have to be careful to not determine things or the world in the way that, you know, the New Testament writers would talk about the world and say, this is, this is the world, you know, social media is the world. Um, but I do, I do think you have to be, you have to be, you have to take seriously the effects of structures and systems. Um, like I, I'm quite big into, I, I find behavioral economics really interesting. And I think the way that we shape our world shapes us and vice versa. You know, there's a reciprocal relationship between um, our behaviors and our environment. And, and that's true online as well. And so we shouldn't be surprised when, if we spend all of our time on social media, that our behavior is shaped and, and we ourselves are shaped um, by that um, by that, you know, habit. And I, and I think the same is true for churches. So, uh, you know, as a church in Vancouver, we, funnily enough, we, we were, we were like the anti-media church, not anti-media, but like we kind of, and maybe there was a little bit of, um, a little bit of pride in it actually. Like, you know, we, we don't put lots of pictures of people on our, on our website because we don't want to fall into some of the pitfalls of, you know, sticking your, your best looking people on the front for the sake of, you know, you know, you can, you can kind of buy into all of, you know, the incremental tactics that are used by the world to make your community feel more attractive because you know that those things, you know, work in the short term. They, they draw people, they, you know, and some of them are not necessarily bad. Like, you know, no one likes a bad font. Um, <laughs> so, so like just, you know, there's a call to all churches don't use terrible fonts. But the, the, the fact is we, we were like the anti-media. We don't want to buy into this sort of stuff um, church. And then COVID hit and we were like, oh man, we better start spending. Um, because we recognize that media is a very, you know, it was the only means by which we could reach our people. But then, then came the danger. Who are we actually trying to reach? Because we, we would consider ourselves neighborhood churches. So Christ City, just so, so you guys know, is, is three churches. So we're a network of neighborhood churches. And so the whole idea is that there's a, a level of proximity to the people in the congregation and to the neighbors that we, that we serve, you know, the neighborhood that we serve. And so, our, our line is that we are uh, we make missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood um, because we you know we, we kind of believe in local in some ways um, so we recognize that media can reach those people but there's always that temptation that says we could get more views if we pushed it further um, or if we changed our tack you know if we changed who we think we're speaking to we could make it more accessible or we can and I think they, those decisions always come with an element of, of truth and, and virtue. 
So reaching more people is a virtuous thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, But sometimes it can detract from really what you're called to do. And this isn't in any way to be disparaging of, of, of churches that have a broader kind of remit, but that's how we felt personally. We felt like, okay, we're, we're, we're neighborhood churches. And then what happened when we started to go on media was we realized, uh, like, you know, we started creating YouTube videos and we realized that our video was right next to the church next door in a, in a very real sense. In fact, it was right next to another church which had way better media than us and was getting 10 times as many views as us and that's going to do something to you it's going to do something to you as a church staff and it's going to do something to you as a congregant who opens up their youtube and sees oh i've got an option here i do i go to my pastor who knows me and and knows my family and has walked through some you know walked through grief with me and, and and done all the things that pastors do um, or do I go to the guy who's obviously a better speaker and, you know, and, and so we, it's not to, you know, it's not even to make a, a, a claim, a, a moral claim against any, it's just, to, it's just to make the point that it shapes us. We're shaped by the environment, you know, our environment. And, and when you think about the other, what, what we look like, in terms of other, you know, streaming services and other other products out there, the forces that are pushing those are purely economic. The forces that are making Netflix the way that it is are purely economic. They're not. They're not. They've not got any sort of human flourishing agenda like Christianity does. And so, there's always going to be that that tension when you work in media and when you start to use the tactics of these companies that is going to, is going to tempt you towards dehumanizing and, and losing the vision of what Christianity is about. And, and sometimes we think, Oh yeah, we're above that. And that's, you know, I think there's an arrogance in us that says, you know, we're above that. We won't be, we won't be, but like these are powerful, powerful forces. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I, I think there is, a temptation that this world shapes us in a way. And so my argument would be, and my argument internally as a church, my, you know, my role is to kind of fight the fight for pushing back as much as we can against this while still utilizing it for the glory of God, um, which is hard. It's hard to do with any real wisdom. I feel like there's, there's so many, uh, yeah, almost ethical lines, similar to what you mentioned even on the front end with some of the advertising stuff, even in, in the way that we approach, like you said, new technologies. And I, I feel like so much of it is still similar probably to advertising and it is about knowing your your target audience, so to speak, and um, actually seeking to, to achieve the mission that you feel like God has laid on your heart as a church community, as a pastor. And I feel like the, um, you know, economic thing, you know, just wanting to grow for the sake of growth isn't necessarily always the goal. I mean, you know, we've heard the slogan, we were joking about it before, that, you know, like winning the loss at any cost and, you know, things along those lines, which there's an element of, um, again, it's a bit of a cliche, right? Like the intention behind that statement is good, but 
you know, what what are we stepping into? What ethical lines are we crossing in order to reach people? Now, that doesn't mean you don't still try and um, bring excellence to what it is you're doing, for example, but but that actually is a really difficult line to navigate. Like, because we do want to reach people uh, with the gospel of Jesus, but the way we go about doing that might be speaking louder than the way that we're actually, you know, communicating in the first place. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, I think it's a great point. The, 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 there's, you know, in advertising, there's a lot of talk about the medium and the message, you know, the, the medium, the means by which you get the message out and the message itself. And sometimes the medium can subvert the message, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the way in which you do things can, you know, can subvert what you're actually saying. And I think what you said before, Ryan, about um, reaching the lost at any cost is an interesting, you know, I, I totally get that impetus. And, and I think it's, you know, it's for the evangelists among us to say that. And it's for, for the others to kind of, you know, maybe maybe kind of challenge where that can lead. Um, because I don't want to lose that evangelistic impetus. You know, that's such a good thing. And actually it's, it's so rare nowadays, it's much safer to kind of explain away evangelistic impetus. Um, so I think like for whoever's saying that in the church body, just let them say it and let them, you know, let, don't, don't kind of stop them. But um, the cost, when the cost really subverts what will save them is, is the challenge. So for example, if you commodify people, you make them the, the, the end. Uh, so you make them the means to your end. Um, you dehumanize them. And actually, this is not what the gospel is about. The gospel, you know, the, 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 the reality that, that someone has intrinsic value, in fact, eternal value, you know, that, that eternal life is available to them, uh, means that they are not uh, a means to an end. They are the end themselves. So their, their relationship with Christ is the end and, and with one another is the end in itself. And I think that that changes some of the things that we do. Um, but there is a temptation, particularly when you're, you know, if you work on church staff, for example, to see people as numbers. I mean, one of the things that we we fight against is we, you know, very few people can see what people give, for example. Because there's, a, you know, what happens when everyone can, when, when more people can see what people give is people start to see people with number signs above their heads. Yeah. Um, and that's just one example of commodifying an individual, someone of intrinsic worth and value, a, a person created in the image of God, dehumanized to the point where they become a means to an end of what you're doing as opposed to, you know, and that's a very dangerous and subverting kind of thing. That's a, it's an interesting thing you mentioned about, I suppose, kind of giving or the numbers thing. And um, sometimes you have to wonder in this day and age if people's giving or the tithe or whatever it is that they decide to kind of put towards the body, the church that they're a part of, um, is that essentially becoming like a subscription service? You know, you get you get access to Jesus like for free, but you get access to the to the pastor or proximity to the pastor, or you get a little bit extra if you give the money, or you get to be part of a cool thing. And sometimes I'm just not quite sure about that. I don't know what to make of it. It uh, sounds awful. It sounds. It sounds. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like one of those. Um, ways in which we've aligned ourselves with 
the world which has purely economic um, agendas and 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 it it will it will breed that and I think well you know one of the questions of the church is you've got to ask and there's a responsibility in church leadership and then there's a responsibility in, in people that are part of the body of Christ um, to be mature um, but if church leadership behave in a certain way it goes back to that thing where our environment and our behavior are reciprocal and so if you create an environment that feels like a subscription service then naturally people's behaviors are going to start to move towards that and that's that's you know that's not to absolve them of the responsibility for maturity to to say this isn't what church is church is 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 the community of Jesus Christ this is the the, the family of God um so it's not something that you you one pay to be a part of or pay to stay in or pay because the sermon was great this year you know this this week um mm. But but there is there is a there's a challenge in church leadership to go is is what we're saying or even what we're doing presenting ourselves as some sort of subscription based model which just is the most grotesque thing mm. and and it's hard in the, in the I guess the day and age that we live as well to genuinely I mean the call to community is it is a challenging thing it's a call to ownership. It's a call to responsibility. It's a call to have the fruits of the spirit be grown in you, have patience grow in you. You know, like I feel like the challenge that we genuinely do have as the church is um, it's not what many, many, any, many other places are selling, uh, but it is a different kind of call and it is a different kind of gospel. Um, and, and I think it's trying to find ways that we can navigate that line well. Because, again, I mean, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time with young adults and the commitment thing is is extremely challenging, you know, when it comes to faith and the church. And, I mean, you know, if you can have a similar thing with no commitment or no investment, um, and, you know, I, I kind of find that challenging because how do we how do we move out of that space without then trying to... Um, you know, sell it again or or compare it to other things. And that's the interesting thing. Like what part do we play in that? Because Jesus says he'll build his church. But we, we want to get in there and we want to put a few few bricks in the wall as well. You know, we want to, we want to. But, but I suppose what you said earlier, John, the, the notion of human flourishing, I guess that has to be our key metric for all the things that we do rather than numbers or bums on seats or uh, social media following, you know. And it sounds painfully obvious to say it, you know. Um, I, I think everyone who would listen would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But human flourishing is potentially in a, a little more elusive than we would like because it looks so different for each person and it looks different for different communities. Uh, yeah, and I, I just add to that because I, I agree completely. I think human flourishing is, is a metric that we should use. The, the, the challenge with human flourishing in a, in a world that gives us all of our needs and wants is that um, human flourishing can, can, we can feel like we're obtaining it, but we're, we're obtaining it through um, worldly means. And so I, I, I might even change that to say that, um, uh, that what we should measure is obedience. Um, and, and trust that human flourishing comes by that, but it might not come by that in the immediate, because when you think about the way of the cross, it's through death to life. 
And so, you know, if you look at the early church and you said, okay, there's a measure of human flourishing for the church, um, they would say, ah, oh, this isn't flourishing. This, is, this, this doesn't look like human flourishing, how we would perceive it. But it was, it was through that suffering um, that actually, you know, human flourishing has come about in, in, in many ways. And so I think it's trusting in the ethic. It's trusting in, and so if you use obedience as a measure of your success, um, then you can trust even when it doesn't appear to be leading to human flourishing, or you trust that it does. And that, that I think is, is, is part of what it means to have faith in what Jesus taught. I, I'd love to kind of just spend a little bit of time um, talking a bit about what you mentioned earlier, John, you know, the fact that we find ourselves in, I guess, what you'd call a, a post-Christian West, um, you know, in cities like Perth and Vancouver and Los Angeles and Melbourne, you know, the gospel has been spoken of again and again. And there's a lot of people would be familiar with the story of Jesus would be, um, you know, aware of what it looks like to see a televangelist or, you know, people have a certain perception of boxed Jesus. And with that comes again, like you said, different feelings, different emotions. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if, so much of um, the issues that we find ourselves in now in what we would call a post-Christian world is simply because we tried to shrink down the gospel into something that was tweetable and bite-sized and, you know, you can put in a 30-second promotion. Whereas I, I feel like just every time I come to the scriptures, I'm just reminded that we, you can't shrink, you can't shrink it down. Like this is a, a lifetime diet, you know, um, Jesus says you can't put new wine in an old wine skin. Um, and I wonder if so much of the, the kind of space that we find ourselves in as a culture is because we've, we've oversimplified a lot of the gospel and now people go, well, it's not as, it's not good news to me, you know, because it's, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like how do we, how do we expand that? How do we um, help people understand that the, the gospel of Jesus and what he came to earth to bring, the kingdom of heaven, is actually good news and it's bigger than, you know, maybe we first perceive or Jesus is more than the, the genie in the bottle or it's, it's more than even just a cosmic golden ticket to heaven. Um, but there's actually so much more to this gospel than maybe we first um, sold yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, one thing that's interesting is the way Jesus went about revealing himself. You know, and, and even so so going back to advertising if you if you were an ad agency in the first century and you were kind of trying to get a message out then you'd probably set, you know, set up your agency in Rome and you'd stick billboards all over the Roman roads and you'd do like a, a large kind of broadcast campaign. Jesus comes with the most profound message, the great, you know, God is with us. And um, he comes in, in, a, in a backyard, in a backwater town, picks 12 complete random you know, laborers and, and very slowly um, it grows to become what it is today with over 2 billion people 
and and you think about the amount of people in history that have that have committed their lives to to following Jesus. Um, so the the methodology that he used is interesting because it feels like quite inefficient in some ways. Until you think about what is what the message is that he was preaching. You know, a message of love, a message of um, this community in which a lot of the old social uh, norms were turned on their head in which people were, you know, accepted when which people were brought into a family, you know, they could literally have communion with one another, um, required proximity. It required not a message that is a mile wide and an inch deep. It's, it's a mile deep. Um, and so it required proximity and time. And, and, and so Jesus accomplished in three years something that would change the world, but it was in a relatively small arena. Um, and that, that, I think is, that I think is interesting um, because sometimes we have this view that the gospel is so big that the whole world needs to know it. And that's completely true. You know, we need to take the message to the ends of the earth. But the question is, what is the means by which that's going to happen? It's going to happen through the local church. It's going to happen through those, what you might call mundane Christian activities of loving your neighbor. Um, it's going to happen potentially quite slowly, so you won't necessarily see the fruits. You just plant the seeds. It's going to happen, you know, because that's just that's just how love works. It's not... Um, it's not like just quick and easy and broad and we just, you know, get it out there. And I think we've been tempted to, to, to think of it the other way. And the temptation is, is, as I say, a good one because we do believe that this is the gospel for all people. And I do believe that we should send people out. And I do believe, but we've, we've almost bought into because technology allows us to, you know, quote unquote, send out the gospel around the world by just posting something on YouTube. We've, we've I think, subverted our own message. Um, that means we don't have to do the hard work. Um, and so it's not, it's not enough to just write a tweet um, because that's, that's more transactional than it is relational. It's not enough to you know, do a, just spend money on a big ad campaign, which I'm not against, but it, that's, not gonna, um, that's not going to do what we hope it will do. Um, like I need to love my neighbors and love uh, costs and love takes time and love, you know, and, and I think like that, that's how the gospel spreads. Um, I was reminded when I was just reflecting on this, if a second Corinthians five twenty, where it says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This idea of God making his appeal through us is interesting because what is the medium of the message of Jesus? It's the church. It's us. It's like you and me. And so the question is, you know, are we, are we being ambassadors for Christ individually, not looking at the other church down the road who's doing a terrible job or the, you know, but you, but you yourself, are you being an ambassador for Christ? Is God making his appeal to your neighbors through you? Um, which, is, which is a good challenge for us, I think.
Well, hope you enjoyed that conversation. We thought we'd end with a little fun infomercial mm. just because. Uh, so if you would love to get in contact with the show, we guarantee that all of your life problems <laughs> will go away. Just email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com.au. And if you do so today, you might receive a reply tomorrow. But wait, there's more. There is also a weekly Riverview Church live stream, which you can tune into at 5 p.m. on Sundays. And we also have social media. So if you want to find out any info about Riverview Church, you can be assured that you will find health, wealth, and prosperity at our handles at Riverview Online. Uh, consumer discretion is advanced. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, hey, thanks so much. Until next time, keep having them conversations. Give God a rain dance right now!